Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowe and Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be rounding up a big weekend for the Northern Hemisphere in the Autumn Nation series. Plus we'll be joined by England scrum half Raffi Quirk and former Springbok skipper Jean de Villiers. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. How's your week been, lads? Bollocks. What? Yeah, hey, you what? Bollocks. Duh. Bollocks, duh. Oh, we're bollocks. Yeah, bollocks, as in not bollocks are out, as in just, boll- well, arguably they are. I mean, I'm not tired. <laughs> Burning the candle, didn't we? You just got to work, Jim. So, so you're bollocks, you, you've been in Italy again. I mean, what's going on? You've three weekends on the, on the spin in Italy. Tell me this weekend you took the missus and the kids. Tell me that's why you're tired. You treated the whole family to go to, where were you, Treviso? Well, I thought I was in southern Italy until <laughs> I came off my phone in the taxi and did a pin drop and realised we were north of the boot. I was like, what are we doing up here? I thought we were down south. No, it was just me uh, and Scott Hastings for the big one, Italy, Uruguay. And what an absolute classic it was. And you know the good thing about these trips are? It's one of them where you try and take the positives out of it. No disrespect to Italy and Uruguay, albeit it was absolute toilet. Was it that bad? It was, it was, it was awful, but I don't want to talk about the game. What I want to talk about is the fact that when you're in a foreign country, Italy, beautiful country, you want to get out there, don't you, and, and test the local cuisine and drink the wine and the grappa, be indoors with a fire in a place that looks like a cave in a vineyard, just somewhere kind of historic, or... You want to be sat outside in the Baltic cold, drinking red wine out of a plastic glass and eating pizza because nowhere will let you in because you've not pre-booked because of COVID. So <laughs> when you look at the experience that I've had in Italy, it wasn't Twickenham, it wasn't Paris, but nonetheless, it was a weekend well-traveled is probably as good as I can put it. I mean, I don't know if anyone's had the local wine in Italy out of a plastic glass while it's three degrees eating a pizza that looks like it's just been put in the microwave from Audi. But nonetheless, <laughs> it makes you appreciate decent travel. So big shout out to Italy, Uruguay. Hopefully we never see you again. <laughs> we move forward. We move forward because, uh, yeah, look, I've been lucky. I can't moan too much. But again, do not watch Italy, Uruguay again. Please don't. Unless you're watching this one back and to get the views up from three to four. I was going to say, how many people do you reckon watched it on Amazon Prime? 
five. <laughs> and that was Beck, just to check you're actually working and not out on the piss somewhere. That was Beck and the kids. <laughs> You've made some improvements to your get up though, haven't you, Jim? Yeah, I, I went. I didn't go as sharp this weekend because it's not all about me, is it? It's about Italy and Uruguay, the big one. So I, what I wanted to do was just play it down a little bit because I didn't want to take the shine off the pitch. Here's one for you, actually, Goody. A blast from the past. Do you remember Craig White? Whitey! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he doing Uruguay? Well, I thought he was doing Italy. So I was like, mate, what are you doing with the Italians? He's like, yeah. He says, I know it's a bit of a random one. I was like, give me a snapshot. Like, why are you lads not any good at the minute? He's like, we've got four or five big injuries. I'm like, you've got Jake Pledry. Who else is injured? He says, no, no, oh, with the Uruguayans. I was like, what? Los Terros? He says, yeah. I said, do you speak Uruguayan? He's like, do I fuck? I was, <laughs> I was like, you've got arguably one of the best performance directors and strength and conditioning coaches of the professional era. Yeah. And he's helping Los Terros nearly beat Italy in Parma yeah. <laughs> Random. Yeah, he's a great bloke, Whitey. My days at Leicester, he, he put a smile on my face every day. Literally the best guy I've ever worked with in terms of high performance, everything like that. Jeez, he could get blood out of a stone, that bloke. He got me down in weight and being able to play and train effectively. So he's a legend, that bloke. Yeah, he was. So he was asking for you a big shout out to Whitey. Tipper, he was known as Jim. Never fucking finished a drink in his life. He's about three foot tall, but tipped every drink he ever got given. Are you tipping a few drinks over the weekend, Goody? Uh, yeah, well, my, I had an interesting week, actually. You say that every week. I had an interesting week, so... Well, I have, like... Were you at a farm again? Well, not a farm, but I spoke at a farmer's dinner on Wednesday night up in Peterborough. But I got a bit of a complaint, actually. I like farmers. I like farms. I like taking the kids to the farm. But what is it with farmers? Like in this time of COVID, uh, one of my big things, I go to these dinners, right? And we speak at dinners and events and all this stuff. Everyone loves a shake of the hand, right? And I'm all for fist bumps now because of COVID. I'm all about fist bumps. No handshaking. The farmers don't do a fist bump to save their life. They want to shake your hand. I watched a lot of farmers go in and out of the toilets, not wash their hands, come out, and they try and shake your hand and crush it as hard as you can. And then you look at their hands, fucking minging farmers' hands, like black. Immune system. Bulletproof. It's just, honestly, it's unbelievable. And they try and crush your hand and then you're looking at it, it's brown. I reckon it's got cow shit on it and all this. And then they're eating with their hands. Great people, but my God, they could do with a hygiene lesson. I don't like shaking people's hands. I like washing my hands and keeping them clean. I probably wash my hands 25 times a day. Like I'm weird like that. Well, that's because you eat 25 times a day. So you normally wash your hands after eating. Is that right? Yeah, probably right, mate. Probably right. That was Wednesday, but good people. They're very good people, farmers. They like a drink, but... My God, hygiene is questionable. And then Twickenham, Saturday. What a day that was, eh, James? Hosted a Q&A with Fafter Clerk and his lovely hair. Got to stroke his hair, which was quite nice. He does have lovely hair, does Fafter. He definitely uses sons. I was there at Twickenham hosting a Q&A with him. And then Kieran Bracken did a Q&A with him as well. Jeez, he could do with a hair transplant. I told him as well. So, uh, yeah, busy, mate, busy. And then what an atmosphere, eh? We beat the world champions, the best team in the world. So England, I think, are pretty much the best team in the world right now, aren't we? Well, you say atmosphere, Andrew. I don't know. I was drinking out of a plastic cup eating a pizza in the microwave while I was watching it <laughs> outside. Was it good atmosphere, was it? Oh, mate, it was amazing. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, the game, the start of it, obviously, and we'll chat about it and get into it in a minute, but we flew out the blocks. It was crackling. Second half, the South Africans came back at us and, and probably should have won the game but just imagine how buzzing the whole place was with that kick by Marcus Smith at the end with a minute to go when you've been getting hosed in the second half forward pack wise it just showed how special international rugby is and we saw it across a lot of games you know we, we, we chatted about the atmosphere in Dublin last weekend against New Zealand imagine the atmosphere in Paris on Saturday that was phenomenal but Twickenham was absolutely bouncing it was 
spine tingling. Yeah, I don't remember the Autumn Nations Cup being this exciting. And I think it's probably for a number of reasons. One will be the fact that we've got crowds back in and there's an appetite to be at live rugby again. The big one is, is that we're now competing, aren't we? And I say that we, as in Northern Hemisphere, with Southern Hemisphere. And I know we can talk about it in a bit, good if you want, about... They, yes, they're clearly fatigued. They've been in bubbles, you know, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. It's been a tough tour for them. It's been a tough few months. But you look at where rugby is now, and it's taken a hammer in over the last couple of years for a number of reasons. We've gone through them all on here. But I think the product of what we've seen last week and this week makes me personally very happy, but more so for the growth of the game and the appetite for fans and everything around growing the game of rugby. Well, you're right, everyone is back out and back into the crowds and back onto the beers. And they'll be back on the beers again this Wednesday at Flatiron Square because we're back in London for a live show, lads. You excited? No, not yet. I'm not feeling it just yet. <laughs> you need to get yourself up for this, Jim. It's one of them. Not that I've been on a stag do weekend. I told Beck it was quiet. I was drinking out of a plastic cup. Or was I? Was I drinking Russian vodka through the eye in Palmer? I wasn't. But it feels like that. So, you know, it's like on the Monday when we record the podcast, just a bit tired, ain't feeling it. Come tomorrow, come Tuesday, lads. I am flying. I've not booked my flight or my train. <laughs> Producer Fred, who sorts the expenses out, I'm sorry. I will sort that out probably on Wednesday morning where it's arguably, as, well, it doesn't get any more expensive, does it? But yeah, I'll be coming down Wednesday at some point is what I'm trying to say. So I am looking forward to it, I suppose. Actually, I'm buzzing. And we've got a huge guest as well. It doesn't get any bigger than this. Dan Carter? Nemani Dodolo. Oh, literally. Yeah. Yeah, literally doesn't get any bigger. He's a big old unit. Yeah, looking forward to that, actually. How quickly do you reckon Nemzi can drop a pint? I could be, like, taking shots. Like, you're that big, your, your hands are going to be huge. Surely you just open the gullet and down she goes. Well, we'll find that, Andrew, responsibly. <laughs> just head to eventbrite.co.uk and search for the Rugby Pod. If you fancy coming along, there are still a couple of tickets available there. So, well, let's get into the rugby, shall we? Shall we start in Paris? What a game. What an atmosphere. And... When are New Zealand going to learn? When Wayne Barnes is refereeing, do not wear the grey shirts, boys. <laughs> we were saying that before the game. We're like, no. Like, I just don't get it. The All Blacks, why do you even need a grey shirt? Why are they wearing a grey shirt? Well, it's our alternative strip, but I don't know why we're doing the alternative strip. You've seen it, yeah, this is the thing. So you've seen it in the Autumn Nations Cup, haven't you? Like, England wore their alternate strip once. Home team, though. Oh, it's money. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Oh, sorry. Okay, you said it, Andrew, not me. No, you, you did say it. Just, but everyone's worn them, but it's generally been the home teams have worn them. I know Australia wore their chain strip at the weekend. I say chain strip, it was a, a nod to the indigenous population there and their heritage. So, yeah, But New Zealand, wearing your grey shirts. 2007, <laughs> boys. Wayne Barnes, referee. The grey shirts come out. Oh, no, 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 no. France time. And this time, you took, what did you take? 50 points. Pants around your ankles time, wasn't it? Imagine the skids. How about Roman Intermix? Peace. Um... Andrew, you've opened him up there. I, I can't work out whether that's a great picture or not. I mean, I'd be happy with it. But that is after, a, I've always said, like Paul Scholes is like, that level of dehydration is, would be me, probably for a week after a rugby match. So if, if my kegs got ripped off or you saw some see-through cyclers with me, you'd be like, is this Jim or is this Jane? Um, either way, <laughs> I wouldn't be happy. But Roman, Romain, Roman looked very good. But anyway, we're going to talk about his performance on the pitch. I spoke to Freddie Burns last week, Andrew. I said, give me your t- top two or three fly-offs. And he said, even though Roman's been playing 12, Intermax has been playing 12, he'd have him. I was like, big call. Big call. Is it? He's unbelievable. What, as in top one or two in the world? But have you not seen him play for the last 
two years. Well, I did it the weekend. Now I agree. <laughs> that's my point. I was. That's, that's the whole thing. I was looking at. I was like, all right, Fred. Enjoy Nashville, Tennessee. Um, you're obviously <laughs> looking at the rugby, just plucking a player out the top of your head and all right. And then I texted him at the weekend. I went, oh my God. Yeah, ridiculous. And that was the big turning point, wasn't it? You know, and it could have been, you know, one of the greatest ever tries that France has scored back to that try that they scored from the end of the world back in the day. But at the time, it was 27-25 to France. So obviously France went out into the big lead. What was it? 24-6 at halftime. You know, the All Blacks looked absolutely shot to pieces. I've never seen them look like that. Even when England in the World Cup, I've never seen the All Black, apart from Ireland a bit last week. But this week, they looked absolutely bollocks. Yeah, and you've got to say that, to, and we'll get into the whole Southern Hemisphere debate in a minute. It's the end of the longest season probably ever for them with all the bubbles and everything like that. So all teams looked pretty shattered and we're, we're meant to be fresh as a daisy. But you only need to look at Untermax try in the first half where he steps inside. I think he steps inside Richie Moanga and just watch Ardi Sarvea. Ardi Sarvea gets like, doesn't even get half checked by Weenie Antonio on the short line. The bloke can't even move because he's absolutely fucked. And Untermax goes through a hole. So obviously, Untermax sees the disconnect and sees how the All Blacks forwards were absolutely shagged. Goes through the hole. But the All Blacks came back in the second half, didn't they? Half time, they're 24-6 down at half time. Then they went pretty tight, started going through the guts of them a bit. It was always going to happen. You know, the All Blacks are a quality team. But then... Do you think they were smoking in the change room at half time, Andrew? You know the French rugby lads. Some of them definitely would have, no? I think there was a couple of camel toe lights in there. And also, you know, maybe a bit of a glass of red or whatever. But, my God, you've got balls and you've got balls. 27-25 up. New Zealand have got all the ascendancy, all the momentum. They put the chip kick in through. And then he just looks like he's jogging. Untermat gets the ball in his own in-goal area. So I think he's done Mwanga first in the in-goal. Then he's ran round Geordie Barrett. And Geordie Barrett's meant to be pretty quick. But Untermat looks like he's jogging. And his piece must be flapping everywhere in those shorts. And So then he goes inside to Jaminé and they go the length. Cameron Wockey at the end of it. He ignores Dante and Penno on his outside. It would have been the best try ever, but that was the turning point. They end up getting the, the penalty from it. Obviously, they kick the three. Sarvea goes to the bin. But then it's still 30 points to 25 at that point. You're carrying on for a bit. And then Penno gets the intercept. Like the All Blacks, you thought they were going to come back and win it. And Jim, I saw your tweets where you're like, there's no way France are losing this. You thought about the All Blacks coming back and they showed unbelievable resilience to come back into the game. But then the French just had too much power. The atmosphere sounded unbelievable. Ben Kayser on comms, it's like he's having an orgasm after time. Ah! All that stuff. So uh, it was amazing to watch. Great game. Saturday night, what better thing to do than watch France against New Zealand. It wets the whistle for the World Cup in a couple of years' time, doesn't it? Because that's the opening game. And I put a tweet out after the game, something along the lines, like world rugby, rugby looks different with a world-class French team. And I think that that is... Everyone talks about the game moving forward. Andrew, you've played in France. I've played in France. And how well-supported the money, the TV deals, the pool of players they've got to choose from. And we talk about accelerating rugby forward and how rugby is going to grow. Everyone's talking about the US. You know, Japan's a big market. For me, if France can win a World Cup in France, I think it changes the landscape of rugby in my opinion. And, the, and you just look at the weekend. And I know Ireland was similar when they beat the All Blacks, but there's something about French rugby that is just so special. And it was pretty decent 
entertainment at Twickenham as well. Goody, you were there. Oh, I was all right. <laughs> Andrew, <laughs> tell me, did you have England down on your match point prediction? I'm just asking, not that I've looked at the leagues, but I know that I'm second in the Guinness League, but I haven't looked at it. Did you have England down to beat South Africa? I'm just asking. Well, I'll be honest, my match point predictor started really badly and didn't get much better. I forgot to do the first two games. I'm in the corporate hospitality. I'm like, oh yeah, Scotland playing Japan. Oh, I haven't done my match point predictor. That's generally what I thought. And then I'll be honest... I'll be honest, boys. I had South Africa by eight in my match point predictor. I apologise to all the England fans. I was in the corporate hospitality doing Q&As, basically telling Fafta Clerk, how many are England going to smash South Africa by? Didn't believe a word of what I was saying myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good honesty, Andrew. Yeah, I did it for the fans, did it for the cheers. I generally thought, listen, you know, and you look at the game and it was a classic tale of two halves, wasn't it? In terms of how England played. First half we played with an unbelievable energy, you know, they put width on the ball. We put the South Africans under pressure. Henry Slade, phenomenal. That is a game that he's really stood up. And I've always thought Henry Slade's class. Since I played against him when he was about 12 for Exeter, he played 10 against me when I was at Wasps. And that day I was like, he is a silky, classy operator. Yeah, when you get in the England fold, he's always been this player. that He's played a lot and he's a really good player. But because of Ford and Farrell, he's never, in my opinion, been able to express himself perhaps as much as he wanted. He really had to step up on Saturday with obviously Marcus Smith at 10, no Farrell, no Ford, you know, and then Manu Tuolangi goes off after five minutes, me old hamstring. And he was unbelievable. The ball out to Freddie Stewart, obviously a set player they'd looked at, they'd shown Marcus Smith out the back and he puts a, a flat ball across to, to beat the winger into the space. Absolute class. Damien Diolande in the second half when Henry Slade pumps and puts Marchant through, he's had an absolute stinker defensively but Slade picks the right option he was absolutely class I thought and England started at a million miles an hour great first try after you know a few minutes Manu obviously burst in up the outside after we'd made a few busts it was brilliant but then ultimately the South Africans regrouped at half time and bring on the bomb squad bring on any squad you want because all my scrums Marla was in reverse Carl Sinclair I think got his head shoved up his ass a couple of times. I'm going to call Joe Marler out on the hair as well. It's absolutely shocking. Absolutely <laughs> abysmal. <laughs> he's not. He wasn't. Mate, he's been in isolation for 10 days eating onions. Do you know what else he's been doing as well? What's that? He's fucking unfollowed me again on Twitter. Oh, mate, who cares? Well, I do. I do. <laughs> Are you bothered? Well, all, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he's playing funny buggers with me, but like the verified tweets, they come through and they pop up. Joe Marler followed me again and then he came back. And now he's followed me again. And now he's not followed me. So I was just going to reach out to him and just say, mate, how's the COVID? But no, I can't. He's blocked me as well. So bizarre. Absolutely shocking at the weekend. So he's blocked you and now you're calling him out, but you want him to follow you, but he's not going to follow you now because you've said he's absolutely shocking. Mate, the bloke has been in isolation with his kids for 10 days. I know. I'm being horrible. I know. I'm sorry, Joe. Follow me again. See me. What do you guys make of Marcus Smith's performance over the weekend without Farrell there? I thought he played well. Penalty to win it was straight in front of the sticks. You'd expect him to get that, but still big spuds to do it. It's one of those things, and I've said it all along. Our best 10, 12, 13 for me is Smith, Slade and Tuolangi. Obviously, Tuolangi goes off. Marchant, I thought, was outstanding. Picked on the wing, moved to inside centre. Big call to pick him, though, wasn't it? I did not even have him even in the match day 23. Yeah, I'd have picked Malins on the wing because of his high ball ability, but... Yeah, Marchant, and Eddie Jones said it pretty much, didn't he? He talked about the fact that Marchant is unbelievable in the air and we, they knew the aerial threat was coming. And lo and behold, obviously, Manu goes off early. Maidens comes on, does exceptionally well. But Marcus Smith, he's the here and now and the future. You know, he, He's a guy that needs to be just given the keys, given the freedom to run it as he wants to. The energy we played with in that first half, 
was exactly what was needed. And, you know, the width that we put on it, the accuracy we had was great. But then the second half, we're under the cosh, aren't we? And it took massive, massive nuts from the whole team to to go through phase after phase after phase, going behind to then play in a, in a way where we put the Africans under pressure. And we didn't have the ball in the second half for most of it, did we? Like it was literally a, a concession of penalties and then kicks and then... We had to find it from within ourselves to go and win it. We had a bit of magic by Slade at the line to put Marchant through for Rafi Quirk's try. But, you know, you, you watch that last five minutes and Marcus Smith had a massive part in spraying the ball around, picking the right options, getting England back on the front foot to win the two penalties. And then his footwork and what was Fran Stein doing? Just going in for the old knee drop. Looking at him, I don't want to profile him under the same profile as yourself, but there were visions when he was chasing back for the try of you in the billboards playing for Newcastle with the cigarette department. <laughs> there was a similar comparable when I was looking at that, which I did yeah. enjoy, obviously, because I'm England until I die. But I mean, he's done very well, Fran Stein, hasn't he? But rugby, as we know, is about younger players coming through and the young lads for England. My goodness me. What a life. I'm looking at them lads. I'm looking at Freddie Stewart. I'm like, I'm jealous because my goodness me, the life that you have in front of you in the life that you're living now you know Rafi Quirk the same Marcus Smith the same I'm just looking at I'm like lads here we go here we go what a life like when I'm watching Freddie Stewart being interviewed at the end when I'm watching Rafi Quirk score his try I'm like yeah it's amazing that is it that is what these lads are dreaming of like this is what the dreams are made of so I'm jealous in a good way, as in smiling, as in like, lads, I've been there. You know, that try against Argentina in 2012 with the pick and go, the feeling. But it's amazing <laughs> to see. And again, we spoke about France having a positive impact on rugby. Whether people like it or not, and they hate on the English, this England team now with these young lads coming through look class. And again, we'll look forward to the Six Nations, but also the World Cup in a couple of years. Now that we've got teams... Probably one to seven. Scotland seventh, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, one to seven. And any, any of us can win the World Cup, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Goody, what you were talking about with your uh, best 10, 12, 13. Where does that leave Farrell in the whole scheme? Oh, I knew it. I knew it. The old. Why are you being horrible? Why? Why are you being horrible? I mean, it, it, it's a massive dilemma, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, there's an elephant in the room around Owen Farrell. He makes him captain, and I get the whole leadership thing. You know, does his form dictate he's in the team at 10? He's been playing quite well at 10, but Eddie Jones has said Marcus Smith is very important to this team now. So you start Marcus Smith at 10, you then say, can Farrell play 12? Well, Henry Slade and Manu Tulangi, they stepped up in the centres at times, and I think that's our best centre combo. Obviously, Manu went off, Marchant comes into the centre. We looked like a different team, didn't we? I, I think the big question is around the captaincy. If you think he's the only man to be captain, then he's got to put him in the team. But the bottom line is, I read his injury, he's got to have an operation, so he's out for 10 or 12 weeks, which might take out the first couple of weeks of the Six Nations anyway, where we play Scotland first and then Italy second, so five points, five points. Personally, I just think he's probably in the squad, but on the bench for me. That's what that's the way I'd look at it. You know, you want excitement, you want players on form, you want players jumping at the bit. Well, he's someone that's always got a place in the team because of his leadership credentials. And you're actually hearing little whispers come out. And I don't know whether they're messages that just we read into. You hear Joe Marler say that Courtney Laws is the people's captain. What does that mean? I'll ask him on Twitter. Oh, no, I won't. Because he's got me. <laughs> you know, and you, you hear stories about, you know, the team spirit's great. Does that mean the team spirit wasn't great before? And Farrell's only been there for one out of three weeks. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that you've got to earn your right to play. And 
right now, first couple of games in the Six Nations, I don't think he well it'll be pushed to be fit for anyway. So you've you know continuity. Stick him on the bench at best. Do you know what I find Andrew around the leadership stuff? What I find not the most weird, but a lot of people listen to this and a lot of casual fans think that Maratoji should be captain. I know we've touched on it before, but do you not think it's really interesting that Owen goes down? A lot of teams will make their best player captain. So you could arguably say that Mara's, if not the best player, but one of the best players in the England team. Then he goes to Courtney. Then he goes to Tom Curry before he even thinks about Marrow. Whereas a lot of people would think that Marrow should be captain, like during the Lions as well. Alan Wing goes down, people are like, right, well, Marrow's going to be captain. Oh no, we're going to give it to someone that's never captained the team before, Colin Murray. So, yeah. and I listened to Eddie Jones's comments around, oh, Marrow's done really good in the leadership group. And, you know, he's brought this talking club back together and been speaking to the psychologist, aka the magician. I don't know what the narrative is around Marrow. I'd be interested to know. You talk about Sia Khaleesi and what he's done and, you know, Marrow's perceived story in the background is why someone like Marrow isn't captain. Do you know what I mean? I do not think it's quite interesting that he's that far down the pecking order. And my point being the fact that he's probably the best player in the team and a lot of teams would just give the best player in the team the captaincy. Are you saying he's not captain material or what you, what are you trying to get out here? I've never seen Marrow as captain material, no. I have. I personally haven't, but it's not about what I think. But I find it very interesting. I've had this many a times as a player. Just because someone's the best player doesn't mean that they're captain material. But I just think think what's grown around Marrow and Eddie's comments around Marcus Smith having to be careful about becoming like Emma Raducanu because she transcended the game of tennis in terms of winning the US Open and taking all these big deals. And he doesn't want the same to happen to Marcus Smith. Well, that's kind of what Marrow's doing, isn't he? He's with Jay-Z. You know, he's out of these kind of glitz and glamour parties. He's big on social media. He's with Rock Nation. All these things that Eddie seems to really hate when he said that because he didn't say he hated it. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he mentioned about Marcus Smith and everything that's going to be thrown at him. But Mm. I think it is a big point because England are the only team when you look at it really in terms of question marks over who the captain should be. That is what I'm saying. And Owen Farrell, yes, he's injured now. Is he going to be captain in the lead-up to the World Cup? Well, I suppose, you know, Sexton with Ireland as well. Maybe it is just the case of, it. well, it is, it's the coach's prerogative. Well, we can have a chat now with a man who played a major role in that win for England over the Springboks at Twickenham. Scrum half, Ruffy Quirk joins us now. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good, thank you. Recovered and back in Manchester, so yeah. You're playing it down, Ruffy, I'm sure. We were just talking about it. Well, I was anyway. Very jealous in a good way of you young lads playing at the top of your game. Uh, talk us through the feeling at the weekend scoring that try. Because I watched yourself and I watched Freddie's interview at the end and I was like, fair play to these lads. They are living the dream. How did it feel? It was amazing, really. I was just like in the zone, sort of like. So the week before against Australia, when Jamie Bermaya scored at the end, I was running behind him. I could hear Twickenham. And the whole place was just like ringing. I vibrated, it felt like it. But when I scored, like I didn't feel like that at all. It felt pretty quiet until like, I turned around and like <laughs> Freddie and Joe March and Max Mayne's were all there in the three and I jumped up and like almost fell over and must had a massive pile on. And then after that, like walking back and just hearing the whole place ringing then was crazy because you're sort of in the zone so you don't actually hear it at the time. And then you watch like loads of replays back. It is literally stuff you dream of, sir. My dad like, said to me yesterday, like, no one can take that moment away from me, sir. So. No, they certainly can't, mate. They certainly can't. It's amazing. And all the emotion came out as well, didn't it? It looked like you were just on top of the world when you scored the try and your face was an absolute picture. Yeah. I want to rewind. The, the feeling coming on, because it was the game was in the balance when you came on, wasn't it? It was obviously England were under pressure up front. 
Eddie Jones makes some changes, brings you on. The buzz that you must have got going onto the field before you even scored the try would, would have been phenomenal as well, right? Yeah, like obviously you sort of want to come on either battering a team or you're maybe getting battered and then you've not got anything to lose. So yeah, it being close was was crazy. And the week before, I got told to get up and get ready quite a few times before I actually got on. So I was this time when I got told to get up and get ready in my head, I was like, oh yeah, probably maybe only like 15 minutes time or something. And then they were like, you're on the next break of play. So I was like, shit, I better get a few more passes in, um, like hurry myself up a little bit. And then, yeah, and then went on. And I, I was saying to my lads today, it was just, it was like watching TV and then myself, putting myself into the TV and actually being there. Because obviously I'm about to put the ball in the scrum, like that's the first thing I did. And there's like Sia Khaleesi there, Etzebeth. People who I literally was watching on YouTube, maybe like last week before the game or something, or like just seeing their highlights all the time and watching growing up. So it just felt like a bit, like literally like I was just put into a TV and like living a dream. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And fully deserved as well. Uh, a lot of people talking about you in the lead up to this championship. There's been a lot of stuff going around at sale as well. Watch out for this lad. And I suppose there's an element of pressure that comes with that as well. But how was last week? Let's just go back the week before becoming the youngest scrum half in 90 years to make your debut for England like how are them things are they kind of milestones that you enjoy having do you, how are your family about these things because it's not just you is it it is your family your club your school people that have had a big yeah kind of input and involvement in your career yeah it is, it is pretty cool like obviously you don't really I don't really know about any of that stuff till afterwards um like my mum told me it went for like a Sunday roast with them after the game last week and like they're just telling me all this stuff and I had no idea yeah it is pretty bonkers because I when I first came into camp I because I was young and thought I am young and I thought like all these people much older than me and I thought sort of you don't want to act like you've won a competition to be there kind of thing it sort of felt like that a little bit and then I was like I need to really park that so if I, to be like a full member of the squad and be challenging people if I've got a different opinion on something or if I think someone should run a different line here or I've got a different backs move or th these kind of things like I need to actually be a bit more senior and think about like those kind of things so yeah, all these like records and all that kind of stuff. I don't really know about so like soon after, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, amazing, mate. Amazing. Actually, you know, going in at sort of nineteen years of age and and having to have the cojones to do that, it's a massive thing, isn't it? Because going into that environment where you've got senior players and you, you know you've got Eddie Jones as the coach, but as a nine, you've got to be loud. You've got to be the fulcrum of the team and attack. How hard was that to to be instead of looking at boys, actually barking orders and telling? you know, some of those senior players, likes of Courtney Laws and these boys, what to do on the field? I thought it'd be a lot tougher, really. But like, we, ha we, ha we had uh, meetings like, as a group and, and the senior players like Courtney and uh, Farrell and people did speak to, and say, like, we want this whole group, everyone be equal. No one's going to have a go at you, Rafi, for, for saying something, even if it's a, an opinion that people might not agree with, still being not having, having the confidence to put your hand up and, and voice your opinion or for people to speak and people to actually listen. We, we sort of had that right from the start because we we spoke about it and actually did it. So you want to sort of gain people's respect to to be able to bark orders around at people. So I feel like I've managed to do that a little bit. So, yeah. No, it's class to hear. And you've obviously had a good apprenticeship under Fafter Clerk. Hopefully that changes and he ends up becoming the apprentice, I'm sure. But like, how much of an influence has he had? I mean, he's obviously a world-class player. You could arguably say he's in the top three in the world. But I suppose now having played the way that you've played in the last couple of games and the experiences, how invaluable has he been? Yeah, he's been amazing all the way through like last season and stuff and making my debut and all the way through. Whenever he started, I, I knew my role last season, like Faf would start and I'd try and bring some energy off the bench. 
so I'd watch my games back with him afterwards and he'd pick up things and I'd pick up things and have loads of different questions and stuff for each other and yeah he's been massive for me sort of just the way like he's such a confident player like things things might go wrong he might not throw the best pass but he moves on to the next thing and then he'll have a moment of brilliance and just uh, change the game and that's the kind of player I want to be like if I make a mistake not just dwelling on it and it affected me for the rest of the game that kind of thing uh, yeah he messaged me after the Australia game just saying like congrats mate uh, very proud that kind of thing and I just asked for some like some tips for the South Africa game and just uh, told me to do one really <laughs> <laughs> on that I did interview him pre-match on Saturday I did a corporate hostility thing with him where I interviewed him and he, I, we ended up chatting about you on stage and I said look Tell us about Rafi because, you know, he's your kind of understudy apprentice kind of thing at, at sale. And now he's playing for England. So surely he's going to be first choice when you get fit again. And he was like, mate, I hope he play, comes off the bench and plays really well. But South Africa win by 20 points because, uh, you know, obviously he's South Africa first. But he was immensely proud of hearing and seeing you on the bench. So uh, you must have a really good relationship. And what about his hair? How lovely is his hair to touch as well? Yeah, it's beautiful. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I saw him today again with Big Hug. And I saw him go and speak to Lou and they must have had a little quick catch about what's going on but that's a one nil to us yeah yeah absolutely um Rafi it's really interesting chatting to you as such a young man and the way that the modern athlete and the modern rugby player is now sometimes it's difficult to get this kind of in- engagement with someone it really is because of the way that the media is now you'll probably got your arms tied behind your back in certain scenarios you're very comfortable chatting to us, which is really good. Like, do you, do you think that's an important thing for, for young lads coming through is to be able to engage in the media? Yeah, I suppose it is, really. I, I actually listen to your podcast quite a bit. So. Yes. Legend. Your voices aren't too unfamiliar, so it's not, <laughs> not We'll get you a live show. Yeah, we certainly will get you to a live show. Tell us about home life then, because, you know, obviously pretty young. You know, you said you went out for Sunday lunch with your mum and dad. Are you living in a penthouse in Manchester yet? Are you... Are you quite a humble guy back at home with the folks still? or Yeah, no, I, I wish that would be cool. Um, no, so I lived in an academy house the last two years uh, with some of a few other lads. Just a very funny house. I've got to say I've got two houses right next door, giving the neighbours hell, really. <laughs> yeah, so they were glad to see us see us all packing our cars last year, the end of last year. So I moved back in with my parents just to try and save a bit of, save a bit of money and hopefully, never know, like move out and get my own place or or get somewhere with one of the lads again. And how did you celebrate the game afterwards? Obviously, it's a massive win. It's the end of a three-match series for you boys. You've been, you know, living in a bubble pretty much. It's been pretty tough. We've seen some of the training on social media. But did you get to have a few beers all together? Did you get out and about? Uh, yeah, we did get to have a few beers together. So, like, against Australia, I got a bit of a hamstring, soft tissue, little injury. So I was banned from the beers on that night, which was a bit tough after the first cap. But then... We all went back to the hotel after the game. We weren't allowed out because of all the COVID situation, but people's partners and some families and stuff were at the hotel and had a nice little cocktail bar. All the boys are drinking mojitos and, and stuff all night. So it was funny. I know it's not the most macho, that is it? But... Nice, mate. Yeah. It's a, it's, hey, I'm a G&T man myself and a Guinness, so anything goes for me. Yeah, so free bar's not bad and all the boys stayed up pretty late and had some good sing-songs and stuff. It was great. There's been quite a bit of hype around Marcus Smith in the media. I'm sure you've been aware of it. What's what's he been like to be around and to play with as well? Just he's just a good lad, isn't he? Like a um, little cheeky chap. Obviously, very very talented player. But he obviously puts a lot of hard work in off the pitch. I spoke to him about like the analysis he does and trying to pick up bits from what he does. And he's obviously a, like a massive student of the game and someone obviously that I would like to be as good a player as Marcus. Trying to like take everything I can from what he does as well. Yeah, he's young as well, so like 
it's strange because obviously he's such a like a wise head on young shoulders, isn't it? And just a player that I want to aspire to be like as well, and hopefully play against him a lot. You know, this season, next season, hopefully play with them at England if I stay there. Uh, yeah, Rafi, before you go, mate, I uh, heard you're a big Man United fan. I hope you are anyway. Yeah. Um, obviously, Solskjaer's gone. I've messaged or DM'd Eric Cantona about 10 times over the last five years. He's not replied once. <laughs> <laughs> who do you want to see come in? Who, who, who would you want to come in as the next manager? We were just talking about this on the on the bus, but we've just been paintballing the whole squad. Pro- maybe like Roy Keane, a little short-term short term thing, get, get rid of a few people maybe and sharpen the place up a bit. Pochettino is supposed to be coming in. Well, that's that's the big news, isn't it? So mm, Not Cantona, though. That would be pretty funny, actually. If <laughs> there'd be yeah, there'd be a few people getting kicked out of changes, wouldn't there? All right, Rafi, thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. And uh, no doubt we'll see you at a live show at some time in the near future. And bits of luck for the rest of the season. Cheers, thanks for having me, lads. Cheers, Rafi. Top man, thanks, mate. Cheers, Rafi. Class act, mate. Thanks very much. What a top lad. I'm going to put what a at the beginning. He listens to the pod, mate. He's it's uh, we've been part of his dream. He listens to us. We talk him up. And then he's England's youngest ever scrum half for 90 years. And, mate, can you imagine the buzz? He's only got to beat... I say this in the nicest possible way. He's only got to beat Fran Steyn. I say only because, like what you said earlier, Jim, it looked like Fran Steyn was me with cigarette hanging out his mouth at times. But can you imagine the feeling when you've got the inside ball off Marchant? Yeah. And you're running in in at Twickenham. Yeah. Twickenham is going ballistic. Yeah. You're, it's your second cap. And you're basically about to put England back ahead of South Africa, right under the sticks. Yeah, I mean, for me, again, I go back to my point, just watching these young lads do their thing. It's what dreams are made of. And rugby's taken a hammer in recently. But to see them with a smile on their face, you know, it was absolutely class. And there is a new era for for English rugby. I thought you were going to say for us then. Yeah, I'm piggybacking. We'll say It felt right, didn't it? Yeah, well, we'll see how we get on in the Six Nations first. <laughs> we. Let's just do it. Because I'm looking at Scotland now, I'm thinking we might have hit the ceiling. But yeah, it was class, Rafi. Uh, good on you, mate. And like I said, how nice it to have a young lad as yeah. engaging as he was. It was class. I mean, salt of the earth, Manchester, Northerner, they always are. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. 
Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Let's get a South African view on the game now then and we can have a chat with former Springbok captain John de Villiers. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Andy. Uh, not not the result I expected on the weekend, but uh, a good weekend of, of rugby nonetheless. Oh, mate, at least you're smiling. Least, and you're looking pretty tanned as well, then. The weather must be good in South Africa at the minute. That's the one positive. Thanks, Giddy. <laughs> but the main question for me is, how long is the video going to be about the ref this week? Because uh, the South Africans in the press, you are <laughs> moaning about Andrew Brace like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, look, uh, I was actually, I, I disrupted my my video that I was making on the ref to to come on the, the rugby pod now. <laughs> but after Rassie's sanctions and, and whatever, uh, I decided against it. Now, look, Look, I think I think when we when we start talking about referees, there's there's certainly something there to blame the result on the weekend in the England South Africa game purely on on the referee. I think will be will be totally unfair. So, I think credit must go to England for the way that they played. I think they were brave in selection. They were brave in the way that they approached the game, and they were able to firstly, you know, score some fantastic tries against a very solid defensive system. You know, at, at last we have Marcus Smith at ten and, and really igniting that backline. So. I think a lot of a lot of exciting stuff uh, for England. And when you look at it, Jean, did you hand on heart think that the Springboks would have won that game? I mean, there was only one point in it. We were talk- talking just before. I thought that England might win the game because just because of how long the tour has been for South Africa. But hand on heart, did you think that South Africa would have won this game? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I said before and before the before the tour started, I said you could go into this tour losing all three, or you could go into this tour winning all three. And I think. I think what we've seen, especially over the the last two weekends or so, is that, you know, certainly in terms of world rugby, teams are so close. You know, there are so many teams competing and that on the day they can beat anyone else in the world. So many games decided in the last two, three minutes with a kick, you know, one, two, three, four margins in terms of the result. You know, that can so easily go the other way. So if, if you look at it from a from a South African point, you know, I felt very confident going going into this game. You know, if South Africa can, again, focus on their quality set phases, you know, play the game that they so used to, but they weren't able to to play that game. Uh, and, and again, credit to, to England for that. So, look, you you learn through it and um, you can go and analyse the game and say, well, OK, we missed some kicks at goal. Uh, yes, some decisions that were made, you know, maybe cost us the game. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And you you live by the sword, die by the sword. So, I think it's it's fantastic for for world rugby and um, you know if, when you lose you need to be able to take it on the chin because certainly when we win we uh, we let the the opposition hear it as well. And John, what about the narrative around Rassi? Is it having an effect on the team? We've spoken about loads on here. I love characters in the game. I love what Rassi's done. There was a part of me that enjoyed his video that you put out, and then having read Nick Berry's report and stuff like that, it seems from a different perspective, that it was quite harsh. But how is it perceived in South Africa? Does everyone love him or are people thinking, mm, what's going on there? Yeah, look, I think what he's, what he's done for South African rugby, you know, and where we were, you know, call it 
five years ago. So it, it was, you know, we had some dark days. So being able to to bring the the glory back, the pride back in the jersey, you know, he's a he's a great thinker of the game and um, and he cares so much. And I think a, a big part of what he did was was because he cares so much. You know, he he knew that or he knows that you know it's an opportunity playing the Lions that you only get once every 12 years. And for him as a, you know, being part of the, the coaching structure or the, you know, as his role of, of director of rugby, he knew that it, he probably won't get that opportunity again. And that he felt he was, he was hard done by in, you know, in that, in that first test match or we were hard done by. So I think in, in general, from a South African point of view, we really enjoy, you know, Rusty's approach. We enjoy his demeanor. We enjoy the fact that he, that he cares so much, you know, and, and there's a, there's a fine line in terms of, you know the rugby kind of ethos and and whatever and 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 maybe that was borderline in terms of what he did, but in general I think he's a guy that 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 people respect in South Africa. You know I played on him at the, at the Stormers and you know like I said he he loves the game. He you know he's he's permanently analysing and all of that and he obviously had a bit of frustration after that first Test match. Yeah, he actually sent me a message uh, over the summer on on Twitter, because I put a column out saying actually it's quite educational, the video, but I've sent him a few messages since and he hasn't responded. So if you can give him a nudge and say, mate, can you get him on the rugby pod? I think he's trying to avoid any more con- controversy because he's going to appeal it, isn't he? He's going to, the rumours are he's going to appeal the decision that's gone through. Yeah, it, it seems like it. Look, I've, I, I must be honest, what what I know about that is also what I've what I've read in the media and and he's certainly trying to just step back a little bit and and I suppose let the, let the, the lawyers and, and whoever the legal people deal with it at this stage you know then again you you look at the timing of it you know when it comes out you know four months nothing and then before you know the last test match of the year against England uh, you know suddenly they bring it out and all of that so you know there's there's this kind of feeling that it's you know they always try and they always try and get one up on you at the worst times but it took away from the rugby and I think that's that's the thing that we need to be focusing on is over the last weekend, we, we saw the balance of world rugby come back and, and, and certainly so many teams saying that Rugby World Cup 2023 is going to be an absolute spectacular event and that there are so many teams that can actually go on and win it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sean, what's the evolution for South Africa now? Having won the World Cup, beating the British and Irish Lions, one of the best teams in the world, if not the best team in the world. Like, What is the evolution for this team when you look at the profile and strength and depth, etc.? I think that's the challenge you have when you've reached the pinnacle, when you've won a World Cup, where you've beaten the Lions. You know, and I can just go back to, to kind of our era and, and what we did in 07 and then in 2009, the same thing. And you, you constantly are chasing something bigger, something better, something... Um, that you haven't done before in terms of the accolades in rugby you know this team has now achieved everything you know they're the, the number still the number one ranked team in the world they've won the world cup they beat the lions so what do you do now and i think what we always come back to is that in south africa you know rugby really is so much more than than just the result on a saturday you know with with the challenges that the world have seen in the last 18 to 24 months you know, South Africa has, you know, so many more issues that we are still dealing with on a, on a daily basis. And a lot of the time, the country looks to rugby to, to solve those problems, you know, and unfairly so, just focusing on, on results and, and 15 guys that can, by chance, you know, play a bit of rugby. They look to them to, to kind of provide the, the joy and happiness in a country that's got a lot of issues. So, 
you know, that kind of higher purpose is, is something that, that drives the team a lot of the time. And, and I mean, going into this game or, or the last game, you know, the team, the team certainly felt, you know, the, the Rassi thing was on the go, but, you know, a, a, a close teammate of theirs in Yanni Duplessis, having lost his son a couple of days before that test match, you know, those are the things that gets the best out of, out of the Springbok team and, and that really motivates them. So, you know, if, if you think about competitions or series that they want to win, yes, there might be that, but it's that, you know, it's that bigger thing that's probably not achievable that I think is chasing them more than, than anything else. And, and the, only, the only way you provide that, the only way you provide the joy, et cetera, is by, is by playing your best and, and getting results. You know, and unfortunately, you know, they'll, they'll feel that, that in a way they let the, the, the country down on, on the weekend. And one of the big things around what you just spoke about in South Africa and, and the importance of the rugby team is Sia Khaleesi and how amazing he's been as captain, not only on the field, but off the field and how he carries himself and conducts himself. He's got a huge part to play in, in this around the country moving forward as well. How high is he held in esteem in, in South Africa? Oh, extremely high. And, and look, I think, I think Sia's story is just, you know, it's a, it's a phenomenal story, a life story, you know, not, not because he's South African, but, but where, where he comes from, the challenges that he had throughout his life and through his career, you know, he was never meant to be the, the Springbok captain. You know, he was never meant to be the, the World Cup winning Springbok captain. But the way that he's, that he's stayed grounded, the way that he's been able to, to impact other people and, and just do good outside of rugby... And play fantastic rugby, I thought, in this, you know, in the autumn series as well. You know, that's, that's just massive credit to him as, a, as an individual. So he's an icon in South Africa, you know, a young guy, but he's, he's done so much for, for the country on and off the field. Yeah, yes. I mean, he's an absolute legend. I think his performances as well are through the roof. So with everything that goes with him, the way that he's playing as well. John, do you think he'll ever leave South Africa to go and play elsewhere and potentially build his profile? Not that it needs to grow any more globally, but do you think there's an appetite without speaking for him to play elsewhere? Look, I think if he if he does that, it'll be a, a short-term contract. I, I can't see him leaving South Africa you know, for a long period of time, purely because he, he has recognised his responsibility in a way in South Africa as well. And that you know, if he if he goes abroad and he and he can't have the impact here where where he wants to make the difference and where he wants to give back, you know, then it's kind of not really worth it. So um, he's had he's had offers to to go overseas, you know, for for a number of years now, um, and has decided to stay here. And I think I think you'll probably see him finishing off his career in South Africa. Good stuff. And how's uh, how's retirement, mate? I know you're doing a lot of TV work and various different bits and bobs. Are you enjoying retirement? Obviously, been out on the golf course a fair bit with that tan. Yeah, look, guys, I'm not as good as, as the two of you on TV or, or anything like that. Obviously, my jokes aren't that good. Either. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, it's uh, it, it's been good. Like, you, you boys will know. It's uh, you, you missed the game, you missed the, the camaraderie, but uh, I'm very happy where I'm, where I'm at at the moment. You know, staying involved with the game with a, with a bit of TV work is is pretty cool and and certainly much easier than playing or coaching. You know, some some other some other stuff on the go as well. So it's keeping me busy and. And enjoying life off the rugby. All right, Joel. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, and we'll let you get back to making that video, mate. <laughs> cool. I'll go for two hours. <laughs> cheers, guys. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, John. And also, can you give Scout Brits uh, a message for me? I got him a place at the Cabbage Patch. Friends of the show, Stuart, eighteen seats at a table for Scout Brits. Didn't turn up. No show. So the guy at the Cabbage Patch is waiting for him. 
It sounds exactly like him, right? Yeah. He, he, it's, <laughs> Big time. He is like the most yeah, unpredictable person. You'll, I, I've known him for a very long time. He's the weirdest guy in the world. Yeah, <laughs> he did it with a smile wearing his slippers. So he's out there somewhere. <laughs> Cheers, Sean. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it, mate. Cheers, guys. All the best. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Top Good man. lad. Good looking lad as well. Not that that matters, but you know, it's always a plus in my book. Yeah, mate, definitely, definitely. No, he's, he's a great guy. He was when he played and a real gentleman as well. Hard as nails, like most Africans, hard as nails, but a real gentleman on and off the field. Loved the beer as well. Top boy. Tell me a soft South African. Go. Uh, 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 Eben. Yeah, I'm struggling <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, you mentioned Scotland have reached their ceiling, Jim. How high was their ceiling against Japan? Why being horrible, Jim? I'm being honest. You're basically saying that's as good as it's going to get for Scotland. Why are we so horrible, James? And you live in Scotland now. You've got to be careful, son. We beat Japan, who arguably could have won the World Cup, and we beat Australia, a third in the world. So, And we lost to the world champions. Scotland is an interesting one because we've done very well over the last 12 months. And I say that, again, we can keep harping on about it. Beat England, beat France away in Paris, England away at Twickenham. If it wasn't for a red card, we would have beat Wales. If it wasn't for this and that, we would have beat Ireland. We beat Italy. And then we go into this Autumn Nation series and we hammer Tonga, no disrespect, in the first game. We beat Australia in a very different way. We didn't beat South Africa, but they're the world champions. And you can kind of understand the way that they play that we always struggle with. And the way that South Africa play is how we struggled against Japan at the weekend. I mean, it was a close game in the end, 29-20. And to be fair... If it wasn't for the inaccuracies around Japan, then the game could have been a little bit different. And I say that they've reached the ceiling. It's a bloody good ceiling. Is it a low ceiling or a high ceiling? I'm trying to work this out, James. Yeah, is it one of those new builds or is it like an old... No, it's an old George and Edinburgh house. You basically said there's no more growth in this squad. It's, I'm amazed that you had the cojones to say this. Well, I look at that and I say that, I can quite honestly say it. You look at now the profile of the team We've got the best people in and around Scotland playing for Scotland. The younger group of players coming through aren't that good. You just mentioned France before. They won the last, whatever, Six Nations World Cups or whatever that they've done. Italy are actually all right coming through. We know England are always going to be strong. Ireland are always going to be strong. Why have been horrible about Wales? So I look at Scotland now, and John Barkley mentioned it. He said it's a once-in-a-generation team. Don't be dragging anyone else into this, James. This is you, saying. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's as good as it gets. It's a high ceiling. It is as good as it gets. Like, it is. This, Scotland are good enough to win the Six Nations. I don't know now, having seen Ireland what? do what they've done. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just said they've reached the ceiling, James. No, in terms of performances, I don't think. But I think their performances, maybe we, we beat... Hang on, Andrew. We put 50 points on you last year. Look at the panic, the the, <laughs> the backtracking now. This is all going out live to millions, We are Jim. struggling. We are struggling with strength and depth. Struggling, winning the Six Nations. What, what's happening, Jim? <laughs> we, can, we can win the Six Nations. We've got England at home. We smashed you last year. We smashed you two years before and three years before. We beat, we beat France. Ireland we struggled with. We'll take that. But we weren't very good against Japan. In fact, I thought we would. We were average. At best. Back to being horrible. You're English again now, aren't you, Jim? Come on, just say it. No, I'm not. Scotland tonight, look, I want Scotland to do well. And, you know, we beat Australia and we struggle. And my point is going to be this. We struggle with the physicality of the game. We just haven't got, you know, big Swindon-born Ebenezer Beth Eaters, <laughs> do you know what I mean? More munching ruckers. 
We struggle yeah. in that area. And against Japan, we struggled. Like, we're on the back foot. Every time they carried the ball, they made yards. You know, we were inaccurate around the breakdown. We were better at scrum, we were better at line-out. And we saw that against Tonga, when there was inaccuracies in the game around that. And we saw that against South Africa. We got munched up front. So, if you're looking at it, and you're playing against an England who want to respect Scotland, or you play against an Ireland team like they did against the All Blacks, or even Wales with the way that they can play and they've been a difficult team for us in recent years because of the way that they play, then we've reached the ceiling. I don't know where the evolution is in terms of like being able to add that level of physicality that these other teams have got. On any given day, we can beat anyone apart from the All Blacks for a bit. But I say this in the best of light. That's how I feel about Scotland rugby at the minute. It's been a good autumn for us. The Japan game could have been a banana skin. It wasn't. And uh, we beat Australia and we smashed Tonga. So what what more can we look into apart from the fact that I've just convinced everyone that we're winning the Six Nations and probably the World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's look at Wales' performance then. Because, you know, beating Australia, but both teams were, you know, a lot of injuries, didn't they? All I'm getting from that game is that David Rennie ain't happy. No, he's not happy, is he? And there's a few talking points around it, but I'm really pleased for Wales because although I'm a quarter Welsh, which helps, they had the toughest of autumns, didn't they? They've t- played played four tests. They've got a horrific injury list. Of the four tests, they've taken on the big three Southern Hemisphere teams. They couldn't have had an, a harder autumn in terms of the fixtures. You know, they got properly tested against Fiji as well in round three. First up against New Zealand out the window, they concede 50. Then South Africa... They're right in that battle and then the bomb squad monster them up front. They get a victory over Fiji by hook or by crook and were properly tested. And then, you know, they can now see it as a success. You know, he's blooded a lot of other players as well, Wayne Pivak has. You know, and there are a few things that went in their favour. You, you can't, you know, you, you can't argue against it. Nick Tompkins, try. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, it's a try for, for me, but it's just weird the way all the Aussies just stop and like, oh, it's a knock-on. The first thing you coach players when you're at school is play to the whistle Everybody play to the whistle. The Aussies just stopped. And even Nick Tompkins like, picked up the ball and nonchalantly went on. Yeah, they could have had a red card. Gareth Thomas, you know, with a uh, sort of forearm to the face on a clear out. Yeah, I thought that was a red card, not a yellow. Now, one of the most amazing stats, James, Lewis rees Amit, 48 minutes, he comes off the field. He hadn't touched the ball. He's the, their most potent attacking threat and he hadn't touched the ball after 48 minutes. And then he comes off injured. Ridiculous. Yeah, crazy, yeah. crazy. But, you know, Wales, I'm delighted they got the win. And Australia looked good. Like, they've gone down to 14 men, obviously. You know, Valentini with the the bang on Adam Beard. And, you know, I think the Australians have complained a bit. Dave Rennie's, as you said, Jim, not happy with the ref. And there were some contentious things there. And it's not the first time that things have been questioned around Mike Adamson. Uh, and I know you're not allowed to question referees Razzy Rasmus style, but he's probably got a point, hasn't he, Dave Rennie, around some questions and some decisions. I don't know. Which one? Go on, then. I think it's a red card. Yeah, on Alato with the clean out, and he gets yellowed. Yeah. I, do, I mean, he did say that the Valentina hit on Adam Beard, he felt, was a red card. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so it, we're, we're talking about one instance, in my opinion, because I imagine Mike Adamson, I mean, it was a tough game to referee because of all them instances that happened. Obviously, Kirtley Bill is one where he gets uh, binned. I think that that's a yellow. Dave Rennie, yeah. I don't know whether he disagrees or doesn't disagree, but it's off the back of the Nick Tompkins one, which actually is, I, it looked worse than Kirtley Bill's, but because it goes back, or does it? This is the question. I think it was a try. Like, it's just how weird it was that everyone stopped. And it just looked bizarre, didn't it? Nick Tompkins picks up with one hand, he's jogging it in. Shouting, it went back, went back, and all the Aussies just stood there around. So, but yeah, you can see, you know, even Czech has come out and defended 
Dave Rennie and said, oh, I'm on his team because he's been there as an Australian. They feel they've been harshly done by the referee at times. But yeah, listen, it was a decent game, actually, I thought. Australia, they're a proper outfit. Again, you know, they're missing players. I like their back row. They didn't have Hooper, but, you know, they're still got some big old units in that team. And if Australia could start the discipline, you go back to the England game the week before, they gave a silly amount of penalties away. And again, it hampered them against Wales with the red card, but they still showed some absolute touches of class throughout the game. And, you know, Wales hung in there to the end. Gareth Davis makes the break up the touchline, you know, which eventually leads to the penalty for offside. I think it was in the end. And Priestland at 34 years of age, big nuts. It's not an easy kick that. Everyone's expecting you to get it in the whole stadium. And he looks so cool, calm and collected with it all. Lovely strike. I mean, my arsehole would be going 10 to the dozen if that was me. It looked easy, that kid. Was it not easy? When you know the game is on it and you've got, it's on the 15-metre line, everyone in the world expects you to get it. Whereas in front of the posts, you could probably close your eyes and knock it over. But on the 15-metre line, you've only got a snap or kit or you know that little element of doubt creeps into your mind. Well, there would have been doubt in his mind, Goody, because if you remember, he got booed off the field. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. Actually, I can't imagine how he was feeling. But it was great for Wales. And, and listen, they've, they've obviously blooded a lot of other players. They've beaten Australia without Alan Wynne-Jones, you know, without out Tipperick, without Faletau. You know, you talk about England's new dawn and, you know, a lot of younger new players. It's very similar to Wales. When you look at the back row, Basham, at seven, Ellis Jenkins as well as Skips. You know, you, you're starting to think there is a decent future in Wales, and there's Jim questioning whether they're going to be competitive in the Six Nations. So again, I apologise to all the Welsh listeners, the millions of you. Always write Wales off, but it's almost like a, re- a reverse engineer. I spoke to Wayne Pivak. He was like, "Can you keep doing what you're doing? Because that's what fires <laughs> the boys up going into the weekend." So you're welcome. I, look, you cannot do anything but respect Wales rugby. You cannot do anything more because. Just look at the World Cup. They limped through and they nearly beat South Africa in the semi-final. And the same goes Six Nations. They limped through. And I say that with the utmost respect. Uh, a proud rugby nation. And we've done it against Australia at the weekend. You're welcome. <laughs> well, the Island Fords did it again over the weekend, didn't they? Smashed the Argentina pack. You've got to feel for the Argentinians in, in a way because, you know, you heard... Mario Ledesma say afterwards around they've been they haven't played at home since before the World Cup in 2019. Just put that into perspective. Every game you played since prior to the World Cup in 2019 has been away from home. So they've been on the road for two years. They've been in these bubbles. You know he's worried about the mental health of some of their players. They've not played a home fixture in Argentina where Jim we've both played there. The atmosphere in Argentina when you play against Argentina in their own country is phenomenal. So you know they're at the end of their tether in terms of travel bubbles. You know fatigue everything like that. It's been Bloody difficult for them, let's be honest. Yeah, out of all them teams, Goody, out of all the teams, I would say that Argentina, it must have been the toughest. For the reason that you just said then, I wasn't aware that they hadn't played a home game since before the World Cup. But a, a lot of their players play throughout the world, like all over the place. Like It's not as if they're all together playing at their clubs. They know each other inside out. You've got lads that are playing in top 14. You've got lads that are playing in the Prem. You've got lads that are playing uh, Super Rugby. So it's kind of like then they've just been thrown together. You've been playing in a championship against the best three teams in the world in New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. 
it is a difficult one. And you've got shit shell suits. I saw them at the airport last week after they <laughs> beat Italy. And it's like, a, it's horrible. It's like a sky blue. But it's like the Argentinian blue, but it's like all in one like shell suit. It looks horrendous. <laughs> so no wonder they ain't peacocking when they get to Ireland. But look, you know, and at the, you're at the end of the tour. I, without making excuses, I think that Argentina have got this, the toughest end of the shell suit, which is a horrendous end. <laughs> And how good were Ireland, though? They've had a hell of a good autumn series, haven't they? Yeah, they have. And ultimately, when you beat the All Blacks the week before, people are thinking that's the pinnacle. But the biggest challenge is then to back it up and have a big performance. And there were parts of their game that were a bit rusty. Uh, I know they made a few changes, but the form they're in, Caelan Miel Doris. We need to get him on. We need to get Caelan Miel Doris on. I, I told you. Do you remember me saying to you years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they fronted up again and, and backed it up. Ireland, all of a sudden, you've gone from, I don't know, it's this weird thing. They've completely changed the way they attack, and it's a very Leinster-esque way. But there's always been a question around Ireland's physicality in terms of when they're playing England and when they've played other teams. You know, they've got this pace, fast-paced game they can play. They're so physical now. Have they just basically put on about 10 kilos each and start burying boys? Because something's happened, and it's phenomenal. Because they're on the front foot. They're winning collisions. I watched... Caleb Mill Doris take the ball into contact. He's getting absolutely smoked by two RGs, and then he's bounced off the tackle and gone through and scored. <laughs> Roll out. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, they've now got the physicality. You go back to the Leinster team that got munched by La Rochelle in the knockout, and that was kind of symptomatic of how Irish rugby was. You know, when it came to the big physical challenges, you know, Ireland against England, we had the wood over them. But then that Ireland performance last year in the Six Nations, where they dominated England, has led on to these performances in the autumn and you know Mike Cat give him his dues as as coach I think he's taken a bit of stick in Ireland about how they were attacking their attack looks so sharp now and that's probably around the whole Leinster Lancaster thing and you know against the All Blacks they started 12 Leinster players so you know the opposite of what Jim just said about Argentina Ireland look bloody good and the big question is you know how long can they go on this upward curve because they get to a World Cup and every time they get to a World Cup in two years' time and we talk about a cycle, they ain't ever got past the quarterfinals, I don't think, have they? So, And that's the big question around Ireland. This whole Sexton thing and the longevity of... We know they're great in between World Cups. You know, they get to a Six Nations and they challenge and they get Grand Slams and, and win titles, but it's their big question mark is getting to a World Cup and what position they're going to be in now. If you're an Irish fan, you're so excited about this squad because there's a lot of good young players in it that have got seven, eight years at international rugby. Well, let's round off the autumn then with your top three performers across the series. Who have you got? Who have been the standouts for you guys across all the teams? Shall we go each or shall we do one each and agree the third? Well, I think we're going to agree on one. Definitely. So let's do one each and agree the third. All right. You go the f- who you think number one. And if it's me old Doris, I'm in agreement with you. Let's say that's the one we agree on there. Caelan Doris has got to be in there, hasn't he? Like ridiculous form. Absolutely. Back to back to back. You know, Ireland are on, had an unbelievable autumn series, dispatched Japan, dominated the All Blacks, dominated Argentina. And Caelan Doris was the star man, I think, for Ireland. So that's the one we'll agree on, Jim. What about your, what about your pick? Well, I don't know if you saw... Diego Ardo, who's actually Manuel Ardo, the number six for Uruguay at the weekend. He needs a special shout out. We couldn't work out what his name was. No one knew. Apparently it's Manuel. I was calling him Diego. Uh, but nonetheless, he was very good for Uruguay at the weekend. I'm going to put a forward in there. And a lot of people are going to be surprised with my next pick because arguably you could say I set the foundations in within him to become 
the physical dominant force that he is now in world rugby. Evan Etzebeth. Yes. It isn't for the work that he does around grabbing players and looking angry and having one arm bigger than the other and being a friend of the show. I've seen another level of his game that has gone through the roof and he's probably taken it from Massa, uh, from Brody Retallick. <laughs> and I, I would say that Eben Etzebeth is now the number one lock in the world. You look at the way that Brody Retallick carries the ball. Watch Eben Etzebeth carry the ball. Oh my goodness me. But not only that, his aerial ability. We saw at the weekend he fucking hurt himself at the end of the game. Arguably he should have been a card. But my goodness me, he is just phenomenal at the minute. You're welcome, Eben. He told me to say that. Andrew, you go back. So we've gone Kelly Miol Doris. We'll put him as a number one. Eben Miold arms to you do a back. Oh, there's a few backs to give shout outs to. I thought Hugo Keenan has been unbelievable for Ireland. Great to see Marcus Smith in the 10 jersey for England, but Back-to-back man-of-the-match performances for England. Freddie Meold stewart at fullback. Man-of-the-match against Australia. Man-of-the-match against the Springboks at the weekend. Takes a high ball like no one else in world rugby. And he's about 14 years of age. He's not. He's obviously a bit older. But phenomenal start to international rugby. He'd be my star back of the Autumn Series. Right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, let's do that, gents. We're going to start off with a good, obviously, and we're going to go with Romania. We're going to get a shout-out, Jim. Uruguay or Romania? Romania, because they beat Tonga 32 points to 20 at the weekend, which is well worth a shout-out. Imagine the night out in Bucharest afterwards. Stuart Hogg up in Scotland. He equaled Scotland's try-scoring record last week, and now he's out on his own as their record try-scorer, and his hair looked lush again as ever. Great little try for him. Started it and finished it to break the record, so uh, well done, Hoggy. Uh, Wales won three in a row against Australia for the first time since 1975, James. There you go. Did not know that. I was not even probably even thought about that then. No, you weren't, James. Nor was I, I don't think. Um, So tip of the slipper to Wales. Ireland had their biggest ever win over Argentina by a distance and got a clean sweep of the autumn. Uh, So a hell of an effort from them. They scored 19 tries in the process, so their attack is definitely ticking on nicely. Rafi Quirk, we've just had him on. Try on his second cap for England. It was a hell of a turnaround when he comes on. I'm basically saying Rafi Quirk winning on the game and Marcus Smith. So uh, shout out to Rafi. England get a mention as well. They lost the penalty count 18-8 to and were up against it in the forwards. The scrum was going backwards at a rate of knots at times, but still found a way to win. And Marcus Smith driving the bus gave us a clean sweep in the autumn as well, James. So... We're unbeaten. Ireland are unbeaten. One of us is winning the Six Nations. France are going to get a mention in the good. They're not going to win it though, James. Oh, I thought they would. No, they're kind of going to win it, but they're not going to win it. I'm not sure I can give them the good. But anyway, Roman Untermach, his testicles, his picture, everything about him, the way he played, typical French flair, and a first win over New Zealand for them since 2009. And their biggest ever win over the All Blacks. Basically, the All Blacks had skid marks everywhere. But the good this week, Scotland get it as well, James. Scotland get the good. England get it. Ireland get it, Wales oh, get it. Oh, I know where you're going with this. And France get it. collectively. Italy because they beat Uruguay. Yeah, they. Yeah, yeah. Well, Uruguay Southern Hemisphere. So collectively, the Northern Hemisphere get the good this week. We've absolutely dominated the Southern Hemisphere. Only the second time ever that the European sides have beaten all the big three Southern Hemisphere teams, and Scotland beat Japan to make up for the World Cup embarrassment. It's the first ever time that all Six Nations teams have beaten the Southern Hemisphere opposition on the same weekend as well. So the big three got dusted. Italy obviously joined in and Scotland beat Japan. So Northern Hemisphere rugby, you get the good this week. Just ruggers, here, here. The bad, uh, Bristol's 
get a mention in the VAD. They lost 68 points to 13 at Worcester. I didn't see it. In the Prem Cup, mate. Prem Cup, the big one. Uh, I think Worcester went full noise and Bristol went under 13s. But still, you can you can concede 68 points. What else was bad? Manu Tulangi's injury. Another in a long list of injuries for him. Hamstring this time. Hopefully it's not too bad. Fingers crossed for the Six Nations. Australia get mentioned the bad. They've lost to Scotland, England and now Wales uh, over the autumn. Although pretty unlucky in a couple of those games. Mainly Scotland and Wales with some refereeing decisions, but we'll leave that there. Uh, Argentina, they're going to get mentioned the bad. I know they've been playing away from home for two years, but that was an absolute pants down hammering in Dublin. So they're struggling a little bit. Italy versus Uruguay is going to get a mention in the bad this week, James. Why? Well, unbelievable co-coms from you. The picture pre-match, he didn't put as much effort in fashion-wise. And I think he had left... a tartan scarf. Well, he had the coat hanger left in the jacket at the back. Yeah, true. I didn't have enough padding on to pad it out. But mainly the game. Mainly the game, to be honest. The, the game was pretty dour. But the bad this week, Andy Rowe, goes to New Zealand. Oh. Yay! I say that with a smile on my face because... They often get mentioned in the good, but back-to-back defeats twice in two years after it hadn't happened for a decade, Andy Rowe. And it's the first time they've lost back-to-back games against European sides for almost 30 years. Foster out. Who do you want, Scotty Robertson? Absolutely. Get Razor in there. Sort it out. It'll turn the ship around straight away. There you go. Is that going to happen, do you reckon, or not? Nah, NZRU is right behind them. There we go. So the bad this week goes to New Zealand. Uh, and then the ugly, two bits of ugly, Rob Valentini. You can't tackle that upright anymore. And the photos of Adam Beard's face show why. Really dangerous. Uh, and Thomas Lavanini. Oh, my Jim Hamilton. Flying into rocks. Oh, needless. With, mate, he's been <laughs> red carded more than, I don't know, Danny Grucott would be red carded if he was wanted to get red carded. Yes, yeah, so Thomas Lavanini. That's his third red card in international rugby. The most red carded player ever. I was looking for your stats, Jim, but um, not up there. It was a needless cheap shot on Keen Healy. And he certainly got the message from Peter O'Mahani when he was calling him a scumbag. You're a fucking scumbag. <laughs> hey, if someone said that to you with an Irish accent, you'd actually believe them. You'd be like, actually, yeah. I believe you. I am a scumbag. Yeah, so uh, there you go. Thomas Lavanini gets the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And you've got a shout out to finish off with, don't you, Jim? Yes, I do. I've got a big shout out to Rugby March and St. Peter's Hospice in Bristol. They've teamed up with the Bristol Bears. And on Sunday, the 13th of March, they'll be doing a sponsored six mile walk through Bristol's scenic surroundings. And reaching the finish line at Ashton Gate Stadium in time for the live Bristol Bears versus Quinns match. So spaces are limited, but you can sign up now if you want to join in. The entry is £30, which includes your ticket for the match. And all the money you raise in addition will go to supporting patient care across Bristol. So just head to rugbymarch.co.uk if you want to get in the mixer. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify as well. Rugby Spot. Spot it, pod, 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 pod. Uh-huh.